Zipper rolls out to the right, pitches off to Taylor, and Taylor's to the 20. Down to the 15, down to the 10, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Touchdown, Billy Taylor! Billy Taylor scored a touchdown from 21 yards out. The crowd goes berserk. It was November 22nd, 1969 that they came to Barry, Michigan, all dressed in maize and blue. The words were said, the prayers were read, and everybody cried. But when they closed the coffin, there was someone else inside. Oh, they came to Barry, Michigan, but Michigan wasn't dead. And when the game was over, it was someone else instead. Eleven Michigan Wolverines put on the gloves of gray, and as the organ played the victors, they laid Woody Hayes away. Under center is Wangler at the 45. He goes back. He's looking for a receiver. He throws downfield and fires. Welcome to the Michigan Man Podcast on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew for Wolverine fans from coast to coast. Go Blue and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. With us today is beat writer Aaron McMahon from MLive. Before he joins us, let's get it rolling with my view from Section 17. Big Ten Champions. That has a sweet ring to it, doesn't it? It has been a long drought for the team and for us, the fans. If we're being honest, in July, if someone had told you we would have our season end in Indianapolis, hoisting the Big Ten Championship trophy and getting ready for the playoffs, we would have said, dream on. It has been an amazing ride, and it's far from over. We have nearly three weeks to wait, but on New Year's Eve, we will spend the final hours of this year watching Michigan do battle with a Georgia team that was ranked number one most of the season until Alabama took them to the woodshed in the SEC championship game last week. So we need to enjoy this. We have waited so long, and yes, it is really happening. Hats off to Coach Jim Harbaugh and his staff. Last winter, many saw the staff moves as Jim's last stand as head coach. If you were a reasonable person, you had to think this season would be a grueling kind of a rebuild. It just didn't seem possible that this new staff would be able to craft a team this good in such a short amount of time. They did, though. It was said many times in the offseason that Jim Harbaugh was betting on his ability to do just that. He took the blame for years as the program seemed to regress, so it's only fair now to give him the lion's share of the credit for transforming this team into a Big Ten champion and playoff-bound football team. Absolutely amazing. My guest today says even though we are an eight-and-a-half-point underdog to Georgia, he would never pick against Michigan after what he's seen from them this year. Up next is beat writer Aaron McMahon from M Live. So stay with us.
Here with us on the show this week is beat writer Aaron McMahon from M Live. Aaron, great to have you back with us. Hey, it's good to be back, Mike, in good circumstances, too. Yeah, a long time coming, and we all know that as Michigan fans. And what an amazing season of Michigan football especially the last two weeks. And as you and I discussed before we started taping, I'm not sure I've digested what we've seen this team accomplish or a lot of the fan base, especially given the fact no one saw this coming, did they? No, it's been extraordinary. I mean, I think we talked before the season started and I think I had them going seven and five. I know many of my colleagues did. Uh, I know there's some folks who had eight and four, maybe nine and three was a stretch. But yeah, I mean, to see this 12 wins, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten Championship, I, I I don't think there's probably anyone out there that even imagined it. Now, you know, before the year, the players and, and Jim Harbaugh and everyone else, you know, they all believed, you know, to their credit, they all thought that this was a possibility. Now, I don't know if they can say anything else publicly, <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they believed. And it, it's been a truly remarkable turnaround. Uh, I gave Jim, Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit for the changes he made in the offseason, both to his staff and kind of the, the, the program itself. Uh, and they they paid dividends as everyone has seen you know, the results on the field. Um, you know, Jim always says you are what your record says you are, and Michigan's a 12 and one football team playing for a uh, you know in the in the 14 playoff now, and uh, it just goes to show they're one of the best four teams in the country. You know, after that Ohio State game, uh, that was like reaching the peak of the mountain as a Michigan fan, and just the way we beat Ohio State. I was worried last Saturday we would have some, you know, kind of a hangover from the Ohio State game. And I think the offense, other than two big scoring plays uh, early, they weren't very sharp in the first half, were they? No, no. You know, and the hangover question was a big storyline going in. I was asked, you know, it seemed like Ad knowledge in every interview I did or everyone I spoke to, they're, they're asking, you know, are you worried about Michigan having being in a letdown spot here? And, you know, I always entertained the question. I said, yeah, it's a possibility, but it's, it almost seemed like every letdown spot this season, Michigan is, is, you know, rose above the occasion. I mean, you go back to the, the game at Wisconsin, the place they hadn't won since 2001. They go in there and, and dominate Wisconsin. They go into Penn State, a place they lost two straight. They take a punch, but they end up beating Penn State. So, like, there have been spots where Michigan's had opportunities to, to kind of have – uh, poor performances, and they, they just haven't done it all season long. I mean, even when you go back to the loss against Michigan State, they, they played relatively well. They just had a few things to go against them. So they, they've had the, the trademarks and the hallmarks of a good team all season long. They haven't really given up. You know, they've taken punches and responded. Uh, they, they made it a point early to, to score first and get on the scoreboard, and you saw it again Saturday. I mean, they they, they take that 14-3 to lead in the halftime, and it almost seemed like after Michigan scored those early two touchdowns uh, on Saturday night, you almost felt like it was the game was over. Iowa didn't really have the, the offensive horses to kind of keep up, and certainly that ended up being the case. Very true, and I thought, I have to give Iowa some credit. I thought they had a good offensive game plan early. They had to have something happen early, which didn't, but they were kind of shot-blocking Hutchinson and Ajabo early, and it's legally the way they were blocking them, I should add, and that really slowed the rush down in the, in the first half pretty effectively, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, Michigan struggled running the football early, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why you saw them kind of try and spread the field out a little bit, and you saw the trickery, you know, in that the deep touchdown pass, and then that, that run with Blake Quorum kind of on the outside. They they felt like they had to do some things and kind of expand the field a little bit to, to spread Iowa out, and, and, and it worked, you know, and that's one of the reasons why they were able to get on the board there early. Some incredible blocking there from J.J. McCarthy on Blake Quorum's uh, touchdown run. Uh, you saw that trickery on that touchdown pass to Donovan Edwards, or from Donovan Edwards, excuse me. It was, 
it was a pretty pretty uh, impressive play call from Josh Gass. They recognized early on that the, uh, the the rush the running game wasn't wasn't working, so they they had to do other things. And we've seen that you know other at other points of season when the running game isn't working that they they're not afraid to change things up. Uh, and it was just another example Saturday night. Yeah, and speaking of that uh, Blake Corum run, I think the uh, the thing that I remember best is seeing J.J. McCarthy come out of nowhere, uh, and he almost passed Blake Corum up and then turned around and hit that block. But you see him run the ball and run it effectively, but the kid has some wheels, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the exact takeaway I had from that play. I'm watching Blake run down the sideline, and I see this guy streaking down the, the, the field, and I'm like, <laughs> At first, I didn't see. I'm like, who is that? And then it's, you see it's the number nine on the back of the jersey. I'm like, I'm like, holy moly! Uh, it was impressive play. JJ deserves a lot of credit. I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen his, his you know, not only the fan base but his, his, his teammates kind of rally around him. They all like enjoy playing with him. He definitely got that team first mentality. Uh, and he's certainly going to be a shining starter in the years to come here at Michigan. Well, the second half uh, was a different story. Uh, we, you know, we struggled a bit uh, offensively in that first half. And credit to the coaching staff, uh, the adjustments made by Gaddis on the offensive side, and then McDonald on the defensive side were outstanding, weren't they? Yeah, especially defensively. You mentioned earlier I was able to move the football at least early on, uh, but you know that Michigan bend don't break. Defense kind of held, you know. They they missed Iowa. Uh, they they attempted a couple of field goals during the first half, missed one, hit one, uh, but they were never able to get in the end zone. And I think that was probably the most important part there of kind of stemming Iowa and keeping them, uh, you know, away from making it really turning it into a game. Because there were a couple opportunities there. Where Iowa had some momentum, you know, late in that first half. They had flipped field position on Michigan and certainly could have had opportunities there to, to make it a one score game and cut it to fourteen to ten. But Michigan's defense held. Um, you mentioned Aiden Hutchinson earlier. He, he again played well. Um, they were clearly, clearly doing some things to try and keep him away from the quarterback. Um, it worked for a little bit, but uh, you know, Aiden. And at the end of the day, he still finished with the sack and played well. Um, but yeah, Michigan's defense is, you know, I think it's been probably the most underrated aspect of this team all season long. You know, coming into the year, I, and I think I said this on your program before the before the season even started, but I was really hesitant about where they would be. You know, it, it, with a new coordinator, new scheme, you thought it would take some time for them to kind of develop, and that just wasn't the case all year long. They they uh, they started slow, but the turnovers came as the season went on. They they clearly formed an identity under Mike McDonald, and it, it's held true up 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 through Saturday. You know, they hold Iowa to three points, uh, keep them out of the end zone, and I don't think you can ask for for much more from a. Uh, from, from Michigan's defense. I think back to July and August, everyone I talked to, and this includes me, I, mean, I knew we had or had Aiden Hutchinson. Didn't expect this from David Ajabo, but what we talked about all the time was we're worried about that defensive line. We're worried about those corners uh, in the secondary. A lot of worries before the season started, and what an incredible job Mike McDonald has done. Yeah, and, and I think that just speaks to Aiden Hutchinson and kind of his value to the team. You know, we we always think of when we always think of MVPs, we think of guys who are the best players on the teams, and rightfully so. But you also want you also have to consider the fact that they they help you know help other players on the team. So the perfect example of Aiden, he's obviously had a breakout year and played well, but because teams have, have been so honed in on him, blocking him and, and keeping him at bay. It's helped other players, and you mentioned David Ajabo, and that's a perfect example. He's kind of, um, you know, grown up and turned into this other threat on the other side of the line as, as a uh, edge rusher, and he's he's benefited as a result. But you mentioned those other guys in the linebackers. Josh Ross has played well in experience. The the secondary I think has benefited from the pressure up front, and it's a similar trait we saw to Don Brown's defense a couple of years ago. But 
I think with the mix-ups, with, with, with the zones and the, the man coverages, and they're just doing things a lot differently. It, it certainly freed things up for the secondary and helped them. And, and it's, it's also important to point out the secondary is a, another year older. So these guys are more experienced. They've been in these, these situations before. Um, you know, they, everyone wanted to, point, wanted to point fingers at them last year. But I, I think last year was very much a, a learning, um, you know, learning year for them. And it certainly paid off so far this year. Well, in the end, it was a 42-3 to win. And we can say what we want, but it was against the number 13 team in the country, a 10-win team. Iowa is no slouch football team, are they? No, I mean, remember, they were, at one point this year, they were what, top two or top three in the country. They were unbeaten. They were playing well. They still have one of the better defenses in the country. And I think that might be the most astonishing result from Saturday. Michigan put up 42 points against the top 10 defense. Uh, you know they were able to, uh, and they were able to do it not just on the ground, but throwing the ball too. You know Michigan did have a couple of turnovers, that was probably to be expected. And, you know Iowa came into the game having forced the most interceptions, you know, of, of any team in the country. So they're very good at that. Um, but Michigan was able to kind of with, with withstand all those, those turnovers, move the football, and really score at will. You know it, it, the second half was pretty incredible. They, were, you know, they put in the backups at one point. They were late in the late in the fourth. Uh, they were still scoring and still doing things, and it was quite the finish to a uh, what, what, as we talked about at the very beginning, a quite uh, remarkable season. And uh, quite remarkable for the head coach because the honeymoon for Jim Harbaugh ended years ago with the, a lot of the Michigan fan base, and he's taken a beating uh, from them. Much of it fair, but not this year. We know how tumultuous the off season was for Jim and his staff. But now he deserves a ton of credit and praise for this season, doesn't he? He does. He does a lot of credit. You know, he recognized during the off season that changes need to be made. Now, I don't know how much of that was him, how much of that was just pressure from the outside, knowing that they needed to win and win quickly. But, you know, to his credit, he made the changes necessary, defensive coordinator. He brought in a young, fresh face with new ideas, uh, a younger staff, maybe perhaps more energetic and more, more idea-filled. Uh, and, and the results have, have followed. I mean, not only on the defensive side of the ball, but he, he brings in Mike Hart to coach the running backs. So you've seen the success the running backs have had had. He made the, uh, I, I think, difficult decision to fire Ed Warner and bring in uh, Sharon Moore, or anytime you bring in, but promote Sharon Moore to a co-OC and offensive line coach, and the results there have been great too. So it almost seems like every move he's made this, in, in the offseason has, has worked. Uh, and it's, it's gotten to them where they are. And I think maybe more importantly, I, now I haven't had an opportunity yet to talk to A.D. Ward Manuel, but I have to think he feels awfully vindicated for sticking with uh, Jim Harbaugh amid all the uh, the pressure in the offseason. And something else that deserves mention is the leadership on this team. Uh, Cade McNamara, Aiden Hutchinson, Hassan Haskins, and there are others, Josh Ross. You don't accomplish what this team did if you don't have that in the locker room, do you, Aaron? No, and I'm glad you brought that up because I've been covering this team now since 2017, and I can't really think of a year where they've had this type of open, public leadership. And maybe 2018, um, and there and there may have been you know more talented team you know Michigan may have had more talented teams in, in previous years, but it almost seems like the convergence of the changes in the off season, the game plan X's and O's schemes from the coaches, and just the leadership on the field have have made a difference. Uh, you mentioned them, you know, K. McNamara has made a world difference at quarterback. You know, you can compare him to all the previous guys, and maybe you know you can make the argument maybe Shea Patterson was more talented. Um, but he was just that quiet guy who didn't necessarily stand out as a leader. So Michigan's got these, these – and it almost seems like they have leaders at every level, you know, whether it's uh, on both sides of the ball, guys at different positions who aren't afraid to step up. 
Um, now, now, Jim and the coaching staff instituted this leadership council this year as one of the new changes with the, with the team. And they, and they basically you know, named a group of players that would kind of represent the, the players uh, at, at the team. So when you know, changes need to be made or issues wanted to be brought up, they would go to the coaching staff and make it. It was a new thing they introduced this year. I have to say, it sounds like it's made a difference. Uh, but, yeah, just talking to these guys, they, they sound different. Uh, they, they, it's clear that they, they've listened to the leaders. And, and obviously winning makes a difference. I mean, you can say all you want about leadership and culture, but at the end of the day, wins are the only thing that matters, and, and, Mich- and certainly Michigan's won. But, yeah, to see the leadership come through, and, and it, it was early on this year. I, I noticed at first at Big Ten Media Days back in July in, in, in Indianapolis that it almost seemed like this team sounded differently. But they, had, they, had, they had developed leaders. They had identified them. And uh, you can certainly say it's a big reason for, for their success this year. Well, we'll talk about Aiden in a minute, but as I watched the celebration on Saturday night after the game, I, I was keeping an eye on Cade McNamara and listening to what he said. And, you know, I felt so good for that kid. He has played this year with a large portion of the fan base, hoping J.J. would eventually take over. It was almost as if he was the interim quarterback, but week after week, he delivered in the clutch. And as we've talked about and other media people have talked about, he might not have the tools other great quarterbacks do, but Cade McNamara is a darned good quarterback, isn't he, Aaron? Yeah, he's. I think the, the prototypical quarterback that Jim Harbaugh has won for a while at Michigan. You know, he doesn't do anything great, but he doesn't, he doesn't screw up. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He knows the, the right play to make at the right time. Uh, he doesn't turn the ball over, and I think that's been a big reason why he's held on to his starting job. He just doesn't turn the football over. Uh, he's a, he's a he's a film nut. You know, I can remember we talked to him uh, after we got back to Ann Arbor on, on Sunday morning. The team had just flown in from Indianapolis. They had celebrated the night before the Big Ten championship game, and we asked him about about Georgia, and he said, "Yeah, he had already watched the Iowa film, and he was already getting ready to, to prepare for Georgia." And that's something that's kind of shined through you know, the last couple of months and talking to the players and, and, and coaches that he watches a ton of film. He's in, he's in Chen Beckler Hall till late at night, um, preparing for opponents, knowing what's coming. So from an IQ perspective, I don't think you can get much better of a quarterback. And in circumstance-wise, you know, it's very similar to when he was in high school. I, I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with this story, but when, when he got to uh, his high school in Reno, Nevada, he ended up ousting the senior quarterback for the starting job there, and he, he pretty much had most of the school against him. That he was the outsider; they didn't want him playing. Uh, they wanted to go with you know the quote unquote popular guy. He ended up winning the starting job and, and shattering records during the state of Nevada, and eventually landing a scholarship to play in Michigan. So it's not a role he's unfamiliar with. Uh, in fact, he's he's certainly you know excelled in that role, and it's, it's been a similar situation this year. And as you mentioned, the fan base was on his case early in the year, probably unnecessarily. Um, it was, and I think, and Josh Garris defended him a couple of weeks ago. He said he, it was more our decision to run the ball earlier in the year than throw the ball, and and he felt bad for Cade because he took a brunt of that. But at the end of the day, uh, as I mentioned, the vindication. I think Cade and the staff and everyone else have been vindicated by their uh, their run here. Well, then there's Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, other than Charles Woodson, I don't think I've ever seen a more dominant defensive player at Michigan. Now he's headed to the Heisman ceremony with three quarterbacks. I'm not sure, you know, he has a chance to win, but he is more than deserving of that honor, isn't he? Yeah, well-deserving. Here he's had, not not only in the statistics department, but it almost seems like he had his big games in the big moments. I mean, he had the three sacks against Penn State a few weeks ago. He had the three sacks against Ohio State. Uh, to clinch the Big Ten East and get to the Big Ten Championship. And then, as everyone saw Saturday night, another sack. Uh, Heisman, 
you know, for better or for worse, Heisman candidates tend to be voted in based on the big moments later in the season. You know, there's been a lot of you know, flack against you know, Michigan State running back Kenneth Walker not getting a, an invite, and perhaps it's valid. But, you know, A, Michigan State didn't get the Big Ten Championship, and, and really his production slowed down in the final month. Whereas if you look at Aiden, he, he really picked things up in the final four games or so, and that certainly earned him a nod. But, yeah, he's well-deserving. I mean, he's as we talked about earlier, he's difficult to game plan for. Teams do a lot to try and slow him down. A lot of it doesn't work. And, if, if you, and it almost seems like every game you go back and watch, you know, watch clips or watch tape, and it's, he's all over the place. If he's not getting to the quarterback, he's disrupting a, a throwing lane. If he's getting the quarter, quarterback, he's making an impact move. Uh, it, it's, and his teammates and coaches have talked about it. You know, he's, he's difficult to play against. He's a disruptor. He's a game changer. And, and I think all those traits, and you combine with the stats and Michigan's success on the football field as a team, uh, it, it's certainly a, a well-deserved uh, uh, reason to send him to New York City. No, absolutely. And, you know, watching him all year, really watching him through his entire career at Michigan, the guy's motor is always running. And, you know, week after week, game after game, I just thought the defense really fed off of his emotion, didn't they? Yeah. And that's been apparent now the last couple of years. I, I was really curious to see how he would bounce back from that fractured ankle he suffered last year, whether he be, whether he would be the same player with the same motor and the same speed. And it, it became apparent early on that he, he certainly was. I mean, after he recovered from his injury in the offseason, you know, Jim Harbaugh talked about it. He was, you, you know, yearning and, and trying to get into the weight room as soon as possible. And he basically told the strength and conditioning staff to, to wear him out and push him as far as they could. Uh, all that off-season work has paid off. He's not only the player he was before, but even better. I think he's gotten, you know, he's a year older. He's a little bit more smarter. Uh, he, and I think he realized, too, that this was his final chance, you know, to, um, you know, achieve glory, win championships, and, and get to the highest highest point. Uh, and all of that certainly come to fruition. Well, on Sunday, as we know by now, the uh, CFP ratings came out. Michigan was number two behind Alabama. A lot of folks thought we should be number one. You can make a case for that, we we know. But it is hard not to put Alabama in that top spot, isn't it, Darren? Yeah, you know, I have a, I have a weekly vote in the AP Top 25 poll in the last couple of weeks. I've been racking my brain over whether to put Michigan have Alabama. And in fact, I did the kind of the side-by-side comparison two weeks ago, and it was hard not to. You're, you're right, Alabama has a slightly better strike the schedule. They eke Michigan out in a couple of areas on offense and defense side of the ball. So ultimately, I think it made the most sense. You know, I, I said this to my colleagues the other day before the rankings came out on Sunday, but I could have seen Michigan anywhere from one, two, three. You know, you didn't know how the, the committee viewed Georgia and that lost Alabama. Uh, so I, I think two was probably a perfect middle, middle spot for them. Probably doesn't set up the best ideal matchup with, with Georgia, um, but it's, you know, I, I think if you're Michigan, and we talked to the players Sunday after the rankings came out, it didn't seem to bother them too much. They, they obviously knew that they, they they said they wanted to be number one, but at the end of the day, they are one of the best four teams in the country. They're going to get an opportunity here to, you know, play in the college football playoff and potentially play for a championship. And I think at this point in the year, given everything that's gone on, the win over Ohio State, the Big Ten Championship, I, I, I think they'll take it just fine. Yeah, and I know the committee members were saying this wasn't a factor, but do you think they were trying to maybe avoid an Alabama-Georgia rematch in the first round of the playoffs? Maybe, yeah, it's, it's a possibility. You know, But when, when you bring that up, I always think, well, what if Alabama and Georgia both win their semifinal match? You're going to get a rematch in the championship anyway. You know, And I, I think ideally no one wants to see a rematch in, in general of that game. 
Um, but when they're the, you know, two of the best four teams in the country, and I think there's no question about that, it, it is what it is. I, I think we're going to find out here who the two best teams in the country are. You know, there's, there's a lot of knock all year on the committee with regards to Cincinnati. They finally put them in the top four. Now Cincinnati has to get their opportunity to, to prove whether they belong or not. Uh, as will as will Michigan. Well, and the way I look at it is uh, four teams get in, and you have to beat the best to win the national championship. We get Georgia down in the Orange Bowl on New Year's Eve. Your early thoughts on how Michigan matches up with them, Aaron? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a great matchup, but, you know, the more I think about it, you know, Michigan's had, they've gone up against, you know, tough run defenses earlier this year. You look at Wisconsin, for instance. You can look at, you know, Ohio State was a decent run defense, uh, and they played well in both situations. So, I think it's probably going to be another slobber knocker, grind it out, you know, uh, maybe perhaps low scoring game because he got two elite defenses against, and, and two, you, know, you can make the case, mediocre to okay offenses. So it's, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I, I hesitate, hesitate to, to, you know, uh, you know, downgrade Michigan or, or knock them because it almost seems like every, every, you know, every game this year where you think Michigan's going to lose or doesn't really stand a chance, you know, they, they've surprised. So it, it's, it's an interesting matchup. I'm really curious to see what happens with Georgia's quarterback situation and who they end up starting. Well, we should probably find that out here in the next couple of weeks. From Michigan's perspective, they're going to be a relatively healthy team, and I think that's been another kind of underrated storyline for the Wolverines all season long. You know, aside from that, that season and the injury to Ronnie Bell, they've been relatively healthy. Now that they get a couple of weeks to recharge and rest and everything else, they should be certainly be at full strength. So I can, I, uh, I, I certainly expect a, a Georgia to get the best possible effort and, and game plan out of Michigan, which, which should be enough to make it a close competitive game. We'll have uh, plenty of time in the coming weeks to uh, preview that game. Uh, final question, though, before we let you get away today, Aaron. And you and I talked about this before we started taping, but this year, Jim Harbaugh, we know, took the huge pay cut. He revamped his staff. He re-energized Michigan football in a way I think most of us did not think was possible quickly. Would you be surprised if Ward Manuel revises his contract in the offseason? Not at all. You know, it's certainly probably going to be a, you know, a topic of discussion. Uh, you know, it is important to point out that the new contract Jim did get in the offseason includes those, you know, those bonus incentives for winning. He's already collected, uh, I think, $1.5 million winning the the Big Ten East and then winning the Big Ten Championship, and he stands to make, I think, another half a million to a million more if they are to win the national championship. So some of his pay will be restored. Now this year, I guess, you know, Jim has said he's going to donate that, that bonus money back to the athletic department to pay the employees who were who were cut or who who, whose pay was cut during the pandemic. Um, but, yeah, I would not be surprised if his contract is revisited. It's, at this point, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's worthy. It's, it, it probably should happen. Because if you look at you know if you, if you look at the pay of the Big Ten head coaches, Jim Harbaugh currently, from a salary perspective, is actually near the bottom of the Big Ten right now. It's pretty wild to think. Because a couple of years ago, he was near the top of the country. Uh, so I, I think if it, you know at this point it's warranted, if Michigan were to somehow win the you know the semifinal and get to the national championship, I, I would think he should be the, you know he deserves to be paid a little bit more. Absolutely, and I agree with that. So it's going to be a busy uh, three weeks as we uh, head up to uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve uh, and the Orange Bowl. And uh, we'll have plenty of time in the coming weeks to uh, to preview and get more into depth uh, about that Georgia matchup. Thanks to uh, beat writer Aaron McMahon from M Live. Always a pleasure having you on the show, Aaron. And I'm sure we'll visit soon again. Yep. Thanks for having me, Mike.
On Quick Hits today, after football season ends, we normally go back to our off-season schedule of one show per week. We will do that for the next couple of weeks. Then it's back to two shows the last week of December when we do our game day and visitors edition shows in preparation for the Orange Bowl. I think we'll stick to football the next couple of weeks, too. We'll dive into covering hoops and other winter sports after the new year, hopefully after the national championship game. I'm hoping anyway, like you. This is such a special year, so let's enjoy this ride as long as we can. If you're like me, you're still riding high after beating Ohio State and then pummeling Iowa to earn our first Big Ten championship in 17 years. It has been a nerve-wracking and special season. Who knows how this season will impact the future of Michigan football. I'm an optimist, though. I believe, as Jim Harbaugh said after the Ohio State game, this feels like the beginning of something. We sure hope there are more seasons like this in our immediate future. That does it for now. I'm your host, Mike Fitzpatrick. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great Wolverine weekend, everyone. And until we meet again, take care. And as always, go blue. Thanks for joining us today on The Michigan Man here on Wolverine Sports Radio, a member of the V-Sporto Network and in partnership with SB Nation's Maze and Brew. Our listener lines are open 24-7 for your calls at 313-263-4842. That's 313-263-4842. Or email us at themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. That's themichiganmanpodcast at yahoo.com. The Michigan Man Podcast is produced at the studios of Robin Lynn Productions, Allen Park, Michigan, and is not affiliated with the University of Michigan. Go Blue!